Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and I'm so excited because we have an interview today. And this is the first interview I've done since Daisha J. Ferris was on almost a year ago. So I'm really excited. But before we get into the interview, I want to thank everybody for the nice emails and the kind words. Um, the podcast quality, uh, both you know, technically and, uh, the content wasn't as good as I would have liked it, but everybody, uh, that sent emails sent very nice, positive emails. So thank you for doing that. So normally after a vacation, I'm exhausted because we've done so much and then we get back and we go to work. But one advantage of going to California with this whole coronavirus thing. And then on top of that, it rained a whole lot while we were in California, it just kind of followed us from San Jose to Santa Barbara to San Diego. Uh, you, you stay in a lot and you get to nap a lot and you watch a lot of TV and movies and play games with your kids. And, um, and, and my wife, of course, she was there. Uh, but anyway, you, you, it's a much more relaxing vacation. So if you're planning a vacation and you want a very relaxing vacation, go somewhere where you really can't go out and do anything and it's rainy. So you don't really want to go out and do anything anyway. And uh, you'll come back and you'll feel nice and relaxed. And right now in Arizona, it's like 78 degrees and sunny. And the kids have been outside all day. My wife and I outside a little bit. It's a great day. So I guess what I'm saying here is if you want a relaxing vacation, then plan a vacation where you do almost nothing. And you'll be very relaxed, like super relaxed. All right, let's talk about this interview. Today, I'm interviewing Jeremy Bullaris of the Future Podcast. And, uh, first of all, Jeremy is such a wonderfully nice and patient person. And I say that because we had some technical difficulties at the beginning of the podcast, but then also right before I was set to record, my wife and I were discussing like childcare because the schools are closed and we don't have anybody to watch our kids while we're at work. And then we don't know what's going to happen with my wife's job. I feel pretty confident in my job. So there was a little bit of a stressful conversation, not bad, but kind of stressful between my, me and my wife and how we're going to figure this out over the next couple of weeks. And then I was like, oh, by the way, I got to stop this conversation and go record a podcast. So I am, uh, there's two things. One is I'm more scatterbrained than normal. And two, I'm used to doing this podcast just talking to the wall. I don't talk to anybody else that's around me. So uh, doing an interview show is completely different than doing a single person podcast. 
And in some ways it's easier because you can just ask questions and then sit back and, and listen. But in other ways it's harder because you have to have somewhat <laughs> intelligent questions to ask, which I'm not going to lie is harder than you think. But through this whole thing, Jeremy was patient. He was helpful. He was kind. And I really appreciate that. It really uh, kind of set me at ease. So it was very nice of him to be so understanding. Thank you, Jeremy. And one last thing before I start the interview, I was super awkward and flustered during the beginning of the interview. And, uh, you know, I chill out a little bit as time goes on, uh, as the interview goes on. But just be aware <laughs> that you're going to hear me and I'm going to sound like a complete moron. Um, but Jeremy, again, being so nice and so kind uh, saves me. And then, you know, as time goes on, I started to feel more comfortable. And then I thought the interview went very well uh, toward the end of it. <laughs> So anyway, without further ado, let's listen to my very awkward interview with Jeremy Bolaris from The Future Podcast. All right, uh, I have an interview today, and the interview is with Jeremy Bolaris of... Did I say that right? Because I know I'm... Jeremy Bullaris, yeah. <laughs> okay. You want to say it the French way, which sounds way cooler? Uh, sure. Are we recording right now? Yeah, we're recording now. Okay, okay. Uh, it's Jeremy. Uh, in French, it's Bullaris, but uh, English people would say um, Bullaris. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, Jeremy, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, mm -hmm. An interview is not something I normally do, so... Um, mm -hmm. Bear with me as I stumble through this, but um, I, I I found you because I tried to have on a, a guest the same week that you had a guest, which is uh, Earl, uh, the Earl mm -hmm. of Frunk Puppy, mm -hmm. and uh, then I listened to Earl's episode, and I listened to part of the next one, which had to do with VR, and mm -hmm. uh, I thought that you'd be a great guest for the show just because we can talk about... Um, the future of where EVs are going and autonomous driving and things like that. And I should mention that you have a podcast called the future podcast. Sure. Yeah. And uh, where you talk to people about where things are going. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about where things are going. So do you want to give a better introduction <laughs> than I just gave you for the podcast? Uh, sure. For you um, in general. Oh, thank you. Well, I have a, an engineering background and I, uh, work in media. I have a media business where we work with clients to um, produce their creative and deploy it. So we do me media production and purchasing as well. Um, and we develop a lot of software in between. So we're a very um, like software-driven company where we help uh, create software to be able to create um, the content more effectively and efficiently and also connect them to the uh, purchasing the spots that are most effective in terms of um the the potency of the attention in which it's deployed to um so that's what i do most of the time but um i do a lot of things in regards to engineering uh, mostly in software and hardware um and uh yeah like i'm up to date with all of tesla stuff that's going on like everything basically elon's doing um and yeah it's like yeah lot, lots of stuff in that area um, but in terms of the podcast itself, um, I just want to get perspectives of a lot of people that are, uh, you know, submerged in a tech 
field or a field that's driven by tech and um, get the perspective of how that's changing what they're doing and where they see that going into the future. Um, so it's a bit of like a thesis of, of where they see things going. Um, and also uh, the, the podcast is not to, it'll never be monetized or any anything like that. So it's super genuine and um, the real intent behind it is just to have really interesting conversations and bring value to people. That's cool. And that's, that when you explain that uh, background mm-hmm. of the, the media background, that kind of makes sense why you chose maybe Earl because that guy has done amazing things with just putting mm-hmm. puppies in the frunks of cars. Like he's raised awareness um, mm-hmm. a huge amount. Like uh, I st- first started seeing his post, I don't know, I'm going to say 2018 or so, but it was just like mm-hmm. kind of random. And now he's in my You're feed all the time. All the time. I, we follow each other, mm-hmm. but he's in my feed constantly with retweets and from other people and things like that. Yeah. You know, I think um, not just for electric vehicle companies, but you know, Tesla has been strapped for the, there hasn't been many car companies that have been able to succeed like that because you know, it's so hard and especially as an electric vehicle company. So since they're not spending any money on advertising, it's super important that they're able to, well, one, build products that people really love. Um, and I'm talking about just Tesla. I know Earl does a lot of EVs in general, but I think it's very critical for companies to be able to um, build really great products that people love. That way they can build movements and, and pages like that around their products, um, which brings a lot of attention to them um, instead of just spending money on advertising. So I, I think if they're strapped for cash and they're investing that in places that matter a lot more, um, like production, for example, then I believe that um, getting pages like that is super critical to getting attention to the company. What, and I'll, I'll tell you where my thought is on this, but what do you think, uh, what do you think, what, hmm, in terms of ad, Tesla not doing any advertising, what do you think makes Tesla successful? Because they, they really don't advertise, but they're great at mm-hmm. uh, the viral marketing stuff. But what do you think they built into their product? And I think it's whimsy. I think they build whimsy into their product, which makes people love it even more. But what do you think? Uh, what uh, What do you think? Is, <laughs> what about what's Tesla? Like do you think is compelling? Yeah. What's the secret sauce? Thank you. Um, well, you know, I think I, I've like I've looked uh, a lot or did a lot of you know going back on Elon, and ever since like the Zip two days in the mid nineties, you know, Elon will he'll never stop at anything. Like his mission is what drives him. And he'll, he won't stop anything to make sure he achieves that. So I think the whole, since he's playing a very long-term game, the whole like product roadmap has been to, from the start, to build and, you know, it's going to be an expensive car, which was the first roadster they built, which was basically a Lotus Elise that they converted into um, an electric car. They wanted to produce a vehicle that people would really love. And it, the whole point was to make a car that looked cool, right? They wanted because car, electric cars were known for being slow and not cool, um, not looking cool anyway. So the Tesla Roadster, the whole idea was, yeah, it was going to be a lower volume. They were going to get it into the hands of mostly like celebrities and, and higher net worth individuals. Um, and that would help change the image. So since a lot of celebrities were uh, getting them um, and they were moving away from their Priuses, if that's what they were you know, whipping. So... That itself, because it was a lower volume of people, 
just getting in contact with people using the phone or connections or whoever was in their network was great. But, you know, Elon had a lot of connections that he made before. Like when he stepped into Tesla, he had already, you know, sold the shares out of, well, he made like 22 million bucks out of um, his cut from Zip2 and another about 170 from um, his cut from PayPal. So, you know, he had had some successes and he was some people, you know, he was becoming a rock star in Silicon Valley. And I think there was a lot of connections that um, were made there in the Valley, but also to celebrities and other people that come to those kinds of parties. So since they were looking for a lower, they were going to sell lower volume of roadsters, um, then it wasn't as hard to get into people's hands. So I think that that was one part. So they were able to get attention from people that were going to look at celebrities driving those cars, but also um, then they were able to build economies of scale and move on there. But I think building a very, very great product all around. So um, the quality of the builds, the simplicity, and also uh, the autonomous driving features and and building and innovating on those fronts has been super crucial. Um, But if you look, Elon has kept his presence on Twitter um, and he's got a, he's built a big following there. So I, I think a lot of people will follow him that way, just the same way that uh, people follow Apple's iPhones. Um, they're just kind of embedded in that world. And, you know, whatever Elon puts out, um, I think regardless of whether it's on Tesla, but other companies, a lot of people will take interest in, in whatever that is, whether they haven't before. So, you know, they might have not been interested in, in boring tunnels before, but if Elon's putting out, you know, flamethrowers um, branded with the boring company, I think some people that might have never bought something like that might have been interested in supporting his cause. So I think it's a number of things, but having an incredible product um, that is so great that people will will promote for you because just the way they talk about it is is a critical part. Yeah, that's a good point. Like if Larry Ellison of Oracle if he was going to be boring, if he started the boring company, it wouldn't be a blip on anyone's map. I mean, he can obviously right. afford it, but nobody would care. So yeah. he, Elon does a great job of making hype and, uh, hype and making people excited about things. And I think a large mm-hmm. part of that is because he's excited about things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even talking about the dark days, like you said, uh, you know, early on, he had quite a fortune for what most people would consider quite a fortune, maybe not billionaires, but, and then he he almost lost it. Like there was dark days where he wasn't sleeping on people's couches, but, yeah. you know, he relied on the generosity of a lot of people mm-hmm. during those dark days. Yeah. Um, another thing, well, one of the things he's really done well is also being able to bet on, and, and yeah, we're going to go back to the dark days in a sec, but one of the things he's done really well is being able to like play on culture. Um, I feel like a lot of people that are, you know, his age or around that, that, um, you know, age group will be more ignorant to what's going on in the world, especially if they've had some successes. So they'll think, you know, we we made it this far. We we don't need to listen to what's going on in the world, but he understands what's going on. And Twitter is a great platform uh, for that. So he's able to kind of, to, put out content and to make things that are very relatable to what's going on in the world. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people to him. Back to the dark days, you know, yeah, like especially when they moved to the Valley, uh, him and his brother in um, like 95, uh, they 
we're sleeping on like in an office like elon's yeah you know they've made some money but he's never been driven by any by materialistic things so even though he's 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 willing to experience those tough times to be able to scale and grow and yeah it's all mission-based and i think um a lot of people are driven by just economics but i think a lot of people are very inspired by his mission that he's on and they're willing to help support him regardless i mean even yeah i mean whatever happens to him like i know he's willing to sleep on couches and even today like if it came down to it so i think a lot of people are are willing to support him in whatever way they can um because of just the mission that he's on yeah and he's not afraid to show emotion um much to his detriment but also you know he proves that he's human by like that interview he gave with gail king you can see him tearing up and things like that he's definitely a very passionate person um what what have you seen in terms because um i I, i'm a firefighter all my listeners know that so all of uh my friends that drove pickup trucks or still drive pickup trucks they're not Mm -hmm. at all interested in owning a tesla however cyber truck um, a cyber truck but they still think they're like well it's ugly and it won't tow and then you tell them how much it'll tow and they're like oh that's pretty good and you tell them how Mm -hmm. much it costs because you know most of these guys probably midterm or mid-priced the 50 Mm -hmm. what is it forty nine thousand dollar version for the single Um, motor yeah well it's 39 for the single and the dual i think is like just under 50 or just a little over 50, something like that. That's I'm, you know, e- I ordered. Yeah. E- even the, the tri motor is fairly reasonable for, you know, what it is and it's specs. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah. most people that did a pre-order for the Cybertruck did either a dual or a tri motor. So I think, yeah, the look is very surprising, but I think, you know, the, the that opens way for a lot of more intriguing con- concepts and, um, I, I don't think the look will really be an issue. The simplicity of the manufacturing is going to be huge for them. Um, and I think that's a big reason they're able to be able to deliver the Cybertruck at that cost because, you know, they've been manufacturing a lot of basically all their cars in California, uh, except for, you know, Giga Factory that opened in China. Um, but yeah, the simplicity of the manufacturing is going to be huge. And also the durability is going to be great for guys in construction or you know, companies that are looking to buy a fleet of trucks. Yeah, the look is, it's intriguing. But I mean, if you're looking at straight practicality and performance, like for the price, it's actually a really great product and deal. Yeah, I agree. What are you, what are your thoughts? And we'll get to, uh, I want to talk about autonomous driving in a second, but what are your, mm-hmm. with your interactions with people based on what it was like five years ago when you talk about Tesla and yeah. now when I became a fire, when I was a, a brand new firefighter 12 years ago, I was talking about, we're going to do electric cars and never going to happen. It's a blah, blah, blah. The guy's an idiot. And yeah. now my captain asks, well, he's retired now, but when we go and have breakfast, he'll be like, Hey, tell me about the cyber truck or Hey, tell me about this. My wife wants a new car. Tell me about the model Y. So mm-hmm. it actually, um, quite a change, especially with that guy who's a diehard Ford F-150 fan. So what's, what kind of change have you seen in that time period? You know, I think that's another thing that's helped Tesla succeed a lot. It's that before, if you look at like five years ago, the whole landscape for EVs was completely different. People were looking at EVs as like, like in a single category thing. And one of the things, and then back to Elon um, being able to trade on on what's going on in culture they're able to build things that appeal to 
and you know looks and, and performance to just more than electric vehicles and that was the whole thing he wanted to make electric vehicles cool they wanted to come out with the roadster low volumes and then they wanted to do the model s which was a luxury sedan so that was their first entry into the sedan world but that was going to cost more than most people could go for but they were going to increase their volume then they were going to go for the x do you know cover suvs which was the luxury suv but now with the model 3 and the model y that's going to come out they're kind of doing the lower range of that and able to scale up which is obviously painful for them but they're able to reach a lot more people and the thing is a, a lot more people and here's the biggest difference in the last five years or so a lot of people are open to the idea of electric vehicles now because of performance because of not necessarily you know like gas costs or anything like that they just think it's really great uh, they have you know that, that it can drive itself that it's got really great performance that that sort of thing so a lot of people that wouldn't have bought evs or priuses or things of that nature before um, or even truck guys, you know, that, that wouldn't have traded for a car, especially an electric car, uh, are now a lot more open to the idea of going into the EV world because they're a lot cooler than they used to be. So um, I think just building products that appeal to people that are more than just concerned about climate or um, what it costs them to fill a tank um, are, are getting interested. And that's just going to open a much bigger market for them. Do you, do you have an EV? Yeah, Model Three. What you, okay, and then um, so I, I don't actually own. I talk about this stuff, but I don't actually own an, an, an EV yet. But like I said, my my first one will be the Cybertruck. Um, you've do you have full self driving on yours? Uh, yeah, uh, I don't use it all the time, but there's like it's, it's imperfect, but yeah, um, for the most part. Okay, so basically. Sorry, based on your experience mm-hmm. with your Model Three, and then also with the the talks that you've had with folks on autonomous driving and where that's going to go, as far as like mm-hmm. machine learning, and then eventually some sort of AI. Mm-hmm. Where do you where do you think this is? We're going to be with full self driving with Tesla or any other company within the next three to five years. You know, I think that's a really interesting area, and I talk to a lot of people that are. Um, like in mechanical engineering fields, people that are in non uh, EV car areas. And I talked to a lot of people that are in, you know, software engineering and that sort of thing. So I I get to have a really interesting perspective uh, over the different aspects of this. Um, When it comes to the self-driving aspect, I think that, well, there's a a lot of things that that are contributing to this. First, we're able to, continuously get much better gpus out there and let us compute much quicker and better um so that's a huge aspect of being able to train neural nets whether it's in the vehicles themselves or in a data center that's going to train some bigger neural nets that contain a lot of the data from these vehicles and building out the um the mapping for the vehicles themselves so I also one of the things that um, I don't know if you've been keeping up with George Hotz. He owns uh, Comma AI, which was a which was a um, company that was started to you buy like a thousand dollar piece of hardware, you get the open source code for free on GitHub, and you're able to turn your like new Honda or, or Toyota into a self driving vehicle. Um, was this guy the guy that hacked? 
he like hacked like an, an Audi or something like that for that a couple of years ago. I think so. Yeah. He, okay. he did the first like iPhone jailbreak was like a hardware hack. He got sued by Sony for jailbreaking a PS3. And then, yeah, then he went to work for Google and Facebook. Uh, and then Elon approached uh, him, you know, this would have been, I think around 2013. Um, and he was like, I'll give you 12 million bucks to develop, to develop me a system where, uh, you know, for self-driving vehicles. And he's like, every month that goes by, you lose a million bucks. Um, but ultimately the deal fell through <laughs> and they were like, he was like, I'm just going to start my own thing. And I guess they got like VC funding or whatever they raised, like 5 million bucks or some, something like that. Um, and yeah, so basically you can buy like this 3D printed uh, Neo, I think they call it. It's like a little camera that goes into the window. And then you have something else that plugs into your OBD2 sensor um or your ob2 port and then yeah so you you have like steering um like a lot of the things that that tesla has uh, tesla's always going to be and even george hotz the guy who um is running this thing he even says that tesla's always going to be a year or two in in, in front of them and they're going to act like the android and tesla's just going to be like the apple of it um in terms of well, we can go back a bit in history here but so Back at Zip2, uh, after they sold, Tesla, or Elon took a lot of his proceeds and went and they started X.com, which later became PayPal. But the other company they merged with, because they were competing and they were just going to put themselves out of business, um, was Confinity. And their product was PayPal. And that's how they adopted the name later. But before they merged, um, yeah, so I mean, they were both doing payment stuff. And the guys over at x.com were paying about $10 million a month to users in $10 increments to pay them to come over and join their platform. So they were spending a bunch of money to try to gain the market share. Instead, they decided eventually that they were, and eventually at some point they were in the same building on top of each other. So that was kind of weird. <laughs> so they <laughs> awkward um, in the lobby. Yeah, very awkward. Um, but yeah, eventually they, they just kind of met up and they were like, like we should just join ways or else we're just going to, punch ourselves into oblivion here so once they partnered up the other company confinity um the guy who was leading that was peter thiel which you may know is like the first outside investor in facebook invest in elon's companies after and that sort of thing but he's a huge like contrarian um and he talks a lot about he talks about the, the capitalist mindset of you know becoming capitalist is you know, if if you're if you're in the business of capitalism, you are in the business of accumulating profits or accumulating accumulating capital. And if you're in hyper competition, you're going to compete all your profits away. So I think that's a big idea that stuck with Elon as well. And and by the way, you can read up on, on all of Pierre Thiel's ideas in his book Zero to One, which came out in 2014. But so he talks. Yeah, so I, I think Elon is only playing for the long term, uh, like 20, 30 year windows minimum. And that's because they might not be profitable in the short term. They might even lose money in the short term. And, you know, we're starting to see the other side of that. But once they build out and they innovate super hard and they make some things that are substantially better, they can own an entire market and then people can't compete with them. Um, and they enjoy decades of much bigger profit margins eventually. And they just reap a whole lot of rewards. So 
I think, you know, Tesla is going to get to that sort of point. But what I was getting to with that is in the early stages, they built a lot of infrastructure and new products and in-house manufacturing equipment um, and yeah, just like a whole lot of stuff themselves. And now companies that want to get in the game, they have to build on top of their infrastructure, whether that's their supply chains, whether, um, you know, it's Mercedes looking for electric drivetrains, they're now buying from Tesla. So they're going to be occupying a lot of supply chains and a lot of companies that want to build into the EV market that weren't paying attention before, they're going to have to build on top of Tesla's infrastructure. And that could be batteries as well. That could be software. Uh, you know, they open source a lot of their patents a few years ago. So, you know, and, and people still can't compete because they're so far ahead. Yeah. Fiat Chrysler just announced that they will be purchasing technology from Tesla. Um, you know what? I, I had, I was at a, a baby shower this weekend and I met a guy who had a Tesla and we were chatting and he thinks I'm crazy on this, but I think the biggest problem with legacy automakers is they have the, they make their cars look, their electric cars look just like their ice cars. There's nothing about them different that about is them. any way different. You like know, on the surface. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the surface, it, it sure looks that way. And that is the case, but it's a much, much bigger problem. The problem is also bureaucracy. People are only planning for their short term tenures at that company. They're, you know, whether it's a contractor, you're a consultant there, or you're an exec looking to uh, meet certain performance um, metrics for your bonuses for different periods in, in the time of the, uh, at certain points in the year, but they're not planning for the long term. There's no, they're not going to build monopolies ever because that's not the game they're playing for. And it's just not in their interest. And even if it were, so many people are just playing for the short term regardless. And I think it's a huge mistake because they're not going to own any significant part of the market. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, yes, they could be making big differences in terms of their physical designs, but also at the same time, when it comes to their technology and, and the push on innovation, they're just not going to do it. They're just going to follow behind on, on others because they are averse to risks. That's when you've got like, especially older folks or people that are not, um, you know, they're, they're not invested in the company at all. Um, and they're just playing on, you know, bonuses or, you know, performance yeah. steps and that sort what of the thing. Stock market You're just never going to build order. something significant. Exactly. Yeah. And that was like, you touched on the second part where the guy disagreed with me, but I think that in order for a company like GM as a, as a holding company as a big, not, you know, GM, the pickup trucks, but GM, the company, mm-hmm. They need yep. to just create a new car company that's only electric cars and let that be their test bed for electric vehicles. Use mm-hmm. that technology, those skateboards or those the, the platform for the cars and put that out into the other vehicles and slowly convert those. Because you're not going to convince a guy that's been at GM for 15 years and he's got another 15 years, but he works on internal combustion engines. Mm-hmm. Like that guy's not going to want to move to an electric car. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not going to be like tomorrow you know, yeah. Volkswagen's a different thing, but we're not going to cut ICE vehicles out tomorrow. So we need to have a better That's way right. to do it. And the the Hyundai Kona, I think, is the most underrated EV on the market. But it doesn't look mm-hmm. like an EV. It just looks like a regular car. And there's nothing remarkable about it on the surface. Mm-hmm. So, and, and he had a, I'm going to, hopefully I'm going to have him on the podcast because he had a, he had a different point of view. Um, and it was a really interesting talk. We had a good time, good chat. But yeah, I think 
I think they can't. You're they're they're too entrenched from the top to the bottom. And I'm real pro union, but unions, um, and I'm union. Uh, we have a way of uh, shooting ourselves in the foot. And part of the GM contract was the union was like, hey, we want to be involved in the electric vehicle uh, transition. So that's a that's a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you have all these entrenched uh, people and the executives only stay a few years, but the, the rank and file, they stay for a career. So unless they get laid off. But, you know, um, I, yeah. So, I mean, the transition to EVs will not be short. Cars last you know, 20, 25 years on average before they go to the junkyard. So that means we're probably still going to see that for a while. And I mean, when Ford came around with their first cars, it wasn't a while until there was almost no horses on the road anymore. So, yeah, there's definitely we're in a transition period. Um, and we might see exponential change when it comes to people converting over. but you know, I, I love internal combustion engine uh, cars that are powered by you know gas engines. Um, uh, yeah, you know, lots of lots of fun. Um, but at the same time, there's so much possibility with EVs as well. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna keep gas powered vehicles as well, and pro- probably for forever. Um, so I, I think there's a place where people can still have some and maybe more of a pleasure than you know as a daily driver or some, something of that nature. Um, but also there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, it's like, I know this is completely unrelated, but Facebook, for example, when it first came out, it was only on college campuses. That's the only, that's the only way you could join is what, if you were on one of the college campuses that had them. Um, and then eventually they expanded to other schools and then eventually they just opened it for everyone to join. And, you know, it was mostly kids on the platform and nobody thought that, if, you know, if you asked your parents if they would join the platform, there was no way in heck they would have, they would even be open to the idea. But as time goes, people just hop on eventually. Um, yeah, so I, I think a lot of people that they think there's no way they're ever going to be into EVs or driving EV um, are, are definitely going to be part of it. As for GM and companies that are consolidations, which are, you know, a uh, bunch of companies pulled together, which is a lot of car companies. There's only a few that are on their own when it comes to um, significant bigger car companies. Uh, Tesla being one of their the only ones that are on their own. So I think a lot of tech companies they they have this thing called Skunk Works, which is essentially um, a little office that is outside of their main office. It could be a few hours away, and depending on how far along they want their products to be released, the the farther away they they can put the actual building itself. Um, but essentially, they'll pool a bunch of engineers or really great folks that are not bound by the rules of, well, one, bureaucracy, but what, what they wear, uh, if they can sleep in the office or not. But people that are super passionate about what they're doing over there. So I think if GM wants to even stand a chance to to even get a, a little portion of the market and compare Tesla uh, and other companies that are going to be built on top of it um, in, in the next decade or two, they're going to need to do some sort of approach like this where, yeah, it's a separate company or, but somewhere where they have, they're not bound by rules. And there's people that are really passionate about what they're doing there that are invested in the company, whether that's, you know, taking less cash home and having equity in the company or investing their own money um, beforehand or that that sort of thing. But people that are invested in the company long-term for the, for decades and that are super passionate about it and are, that are brilliant that can, go and 
build really great products. That's the only way. There's no way that in a world where there's so many rules, like in a company where there's so many rules, where there's so many things constricting creativity and long-term growth, that they're going to build anything that's going to be meaningful um, in, in the terms that matter. I agree. And Ford, uh, they talked about this on there. And Skunk Works, that's not something that's entirely new, right? But when they mm-hmm. built the Macintosh, they had their own little separate building and they had the pirate flag yep. flying and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ford, uh, when they had their thing for the uh, Mach-E, they talked about their Skunk Works project. And actually, I think that's one example where you can say that that was a success because that car is actually pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of EVs and the Mach-E included, and all the Tesla's EVs, they're not what I would consider uh, affordable to the general population. You know, they're affordable, mm-hmm. more affordable now, especially with the $35,000 Model 3. But mm-hmm. um, my mom, for instance, isn't going to be able to buy a used Model 3 or a, or a new Model 3. You know, it's, they're just, they're so expensive. They need to come down um, sub-25 for sure. But I think once we can get them, even if they're just driving around town at, uh, you know, 150, 200 miles or something like that, we we need to get them much, much lower so more people can afford them. And I think that's when the change is really going to happen. Yeah, I, I well, I think one, you're right on that. Um, two, the used vehicle market is going to be open as well. There's going to be people that are, well, I think they're going to be able to release cars that are slightly cheaper as well. But um, also another aspect that I think we need to look at, which uh, we might not, um, is that back to kind of the, the, the horses before Ford came along, um, there were theorists that, that said they'd estimated by a certain year that the whole world would just be filled with crap because horses were crapping all over the streets and eventually it would make its way into the homes and we would just you know be infested with just crap everywhere. But what they didn't know was that Ford was going to come along and change the whole, the whole path of how that would come to go. And obviously there's no horses on the roads anymore. So yeah, I we think have a different pollution we, problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think in terms of um, the ownership, um, I think not a lot of people, not as many people will be owning uh, vehicles uh, or they will. And, but I mean, with the whole autonomous thing going on, there's definitely going to be robo taxis, whether that's a fleet owned by Tesla or uh, other companies or individuals that have their own cars pick up people while they're not using them. Um, that's going to be a stream of that could be a stream of income for people, which helps pays if not pays their their vehicle many many fold. Um, but also, uh, I think a lot of people are, are just not going to own the vehicles, and they're just going to ride this super cheap. Um, network of robo taxis because you know obviously there's no driver and yeah it's just going to be basic maintenance for the vehicles and also it's going to be yeah basic maintenance and you know there's basically no other costs maybe insurance but companies like sure. Tesla and that's back to Tesla's infrastructure they're building you know an insurance company and they have so much data that they're able to offer competitive price well pricing that nobody can compete with so i think by having so much data on what's going on inside their companies they're able to build a lot of things on top of that at prices that nobody will be able to compete with because they're just not able to access the data um to the the way that they are like insurance companies for example um it'll make zero sense for you to go with another insurance company other than tesla if Tesla knows what the heck's going on, how much it actually costs them, and their repair costs and that sort of thing. 
So you'll never be able to get a better pricing somewhere. So back to the infrastructure thing, I think they just have so much advantage because of the data they have. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you one more question because you've been very generous with your time and we had some technical difficulties that even put us out further. Uh, just, just one thing that you're excited about. It doesn't have to be about Tesla. One thing you're excited about for the future that based on your podcast and your experiences. Um, in, in terms of electric vehicles or anything, anything in general? Anything. We're, oh, we're a large techie audience that has lots of interests. <laughs> yeah. Um, the main thing, well, if, if, it depends. We're looking short in a short term window. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about EVs. So I think the robo taxi thing and a lot of data driven companies are going to rule the world when it comes to that. But when it comes to other things outside of vehicles, um, AR is going to be insane. Like 2007 was kind of the, the start when things started to come to the market with the Google Glass and it, it kind of flopped. Well, it did flop because. Um, it just, the market wasn't ready. And then we slowly reeled back and eventually there was augmented reality apps and uh, you know, people were, it was a stepping stone for people to get introduced back to, into the world of augmented reality. And obviously Oculus came through Facebook bottom in, in 2014 and helped develop their product further. Um, and we made huge leaps in the world of VR. So I think we're, we're going to keep making huge leaps in the, in the world of VR as well, but the technology for augmented reality and, and some of the talent that I talked to you out there um is doing some really really great stuff in the world of augmented reality so being able to dive into this digital world wherever you are in the actual world so you're not isolated like in vr vr a lot of it is um based on on gaming right now so we have a lot of applications geared towards gaming but in an an augmented reality world companies that can come in and develop really really great software and immersive and non-intrusive and intuitive software for it um, are going to really change a lot of stuff. It's going to change a lot of things in advertising and the way we collect data. So I, th- I think we're going to live at all moments in some sort of like headset or augmented reality world. So in the short term, super excited about that. Um, in a bit of a longer term, I think space travel and, and travel in general is going to change hugely. Um, for example, you know, they say we might have uh, like hyperloops or small rockets to be able to go places very quickly. So I think in terms of a world economy, we can grow a lot quicker um, and and help with globalization when it comes to companies because we're able to travel a lot quicker. Um, So that'll be huge. But also when it comes to outer space, we're looking a few decades on the road and there's also a bunch of a handful of companies that are working on really great things in terms of that. Um, Being able to mine in space and travel in space and being able to um, being able to colonize other planets is just going to be a huge game changer. But uh, yeah, we're making some huge leaps, and those are some of the things I'm excited about. Those are also things I'm very excited about. But you just described my wife's worst nightmare. <laughs> my wife yeah. is a luddite until she uses something. But if you could explain a concept to her, she's like, "I'm not interested in that." And then when you finally uh, get her on something, she's like, "Oh, this is awesome." Yeah. But yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank um, you so much for being on the show. Do you want to tell people no. where to find you? Sure. Um, if you want to see my ridiculous tweets, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my username is Jeremy Bulleris, J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-O-U-L-E-R-I-C-E. Um, yeah. And I pretty much just post all my stuff there. 
Okay. And I'm going to post the link to your podcast uh, on in the show notes and you'll be under the friends section. So it'll just stay permanently linked. So just in case anybody wants to find you later, it'll be cool. there. That's awesome. Thanks, thank you man. very much. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, Ed. All righty. That was our interview with Jeremy Bullaris. And I want to thank him one more time for coming on the show. You have no idea how uh, difficult oftentimes it is to try and get a guest. A lot of people will say, yeah, I can do that. And when then when you try to schedule it, it just kind of falls apart. And it's it's almost a full-time job to book guests. And Jeremy was just like, yeah, I'll be on, no problem. Like, easy peasy. I emailed him this morning as I came back from vacation. He's like, do you want to do it in an hour? Uh, very, very nice guy. And I couldn't, uh, appreciate him being on the show, uh, more. Like, I really appreciate it. I don't know how I'm, I'm babbling now. Anyway, I'm going to take Jeremy's information. I'm going to put it on the, in the show notes right next to, right under the friends section, uh, next to True North EVs, Making Tracks, Deshaw J. Ferris. You'll see all that information in the show notes. So you can find Jeremy and listen to the future podcast. It's it's really good. I highly suggest it. All right, let's say goodbye. If you want to email me, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. I am on Twitter at 918digital. My DMs are open, so you don't even have to follow me to uh, send me a message. And then, yeah, that's it. If you want to support the show, go to supportkilowatt.com. Again, all of the money goes directly to the show. None of the money goes into my pocket because I have a job, and my wife has a job for now. I'm uh, just kidding. She'll, she'll have a job after coronavirus, but we have a, we, you know, we, we, we're fine. Uh, we make money, but, uh, it does cost money to do this show. So if, uh, you could be so kind, just go to supportkilowatt.com. You can, uh, see what we have available, the, the $1 tier and the $3 tier. And if you don't want to, you know, give any money at all, that's totally fine. We have free stuff up there for you as well. So it's just another source for information. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and I will talk to you on Friday. It'll be a short show on Friday, but we will talk on Friday. Have a great week, everybody. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.